are continuing in our series, Summer Sessions, today, and we're going to get right into the nitty-gritty because we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. And we're probably going to go over our hour marker, so just you know, hold your bladder for a second. You'll be all right. We won't go too far. But we're going to talk about Passover today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5 is where we'll start. And if you're a teenager, yes, go and, and make your way downstairs. I see a couple of the kids leaving. Uh, your class will be ready for you down there. So Passover, the idea of Passover, the concept of communion is really what we're going to get really deep into today. So this whole idea of Passover is God, com- or, or the commemoration, I'm sorry, of God delivering his people. So let's get right into the Bible, and we'll go to Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. It says this, your lamb shall be unblemished. It'd be a male of a year old. You might take it from the sheep or from the goats. You'll shoot, you will keep it for 14 days of the same month. And then the whole body of the congregation of Israel will kill it. Nice words from God, right? You're going to kill that lamb. Moreover, you shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost, on the lintel of the house in which you eat it. You shall eat the flesh of, the, uh, of the, uh, that night and it will be roasted by fire and you shall eat it that with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. And then he goes on to tell them how to have this, this communion process or this Passover process. And now you'll shall eat in this manner. Your feet... Well, I'm sorry, you, you'll eat with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, with staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. It says, this is the Lord's Passover, so we're understanding a little bit. This is instituted by God. For I will go through the land of Egypt and I will kill, that night, and I will strike down or kill all the firstborn of the, of, the, of the Egyptians, both their males and of their beasts, or both their men and of their beasts. And he said, and against the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The idea of where Passover comes from, I'll pass over you. And no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike down the land of Egypt. This is rough stuff that God tells his people. He tells them, listen, I'm coming. I'm going to come as a death angel on the march. I'm going to take away the firstborn sons and the firstborn of the animals. And if you'll obey me, if you'll obey me, you'll be spared. There are two elements that are introduced here at Passover, two very specific elements that we see Jesus later on ratify. See, Jesus celebrated Passover. He celebrated this event. He celebrated Passover because it was part of his custom. He had a custom as it would have been the Jews for, for literally centuries to celebrate or to commemorate what God was doing, that God was, pay, that God was faithful and that his people were faithful in a simple action. In commemorating their release and bondage, they were released from bondage they didn't deserve, they didn't earn it, they didn't do anything, they didn't wage a war, they didn't finally negotiate their peace treaty. God released them from bondage on his merit and not theirs. They weren't delivered because of something they did. This was literally the essence of faith, simple action based on the promise of God. God said he would do something, they acted in simple faith, and they got the backside of their desire. And so it sets up the scene for us to understand really how communion works. See, Passover was given its name because the angel of death passed over every household that had acted in faith. Every household that had spread the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, over the lintel, over the threshold. They were delivered by Moses, God's servant. They were walking out of their bondage. 
All right, we're setting the stage here of really what God's doing because all of this comes down to one simple idea, value judgment, value judgment. What did God tell him to do? He said, go out and pick you out a little soft, cuddly lamb. Take it from the goats or you can go ahead and take it from the sheep. I don't care, but you're gonna keep that lamb with you in your family for 14 days. Can you imagine taking a little cuddly lamb into your family for 14 days, knowing at the end of it, you're gonna have to cut its throat, drain its blood and then eat it. That's rough, right? God said, take it because he wanted them to understand the sense of value. Listen, just as we confuse giving with money, we confuse giving with money all the time that somehow it's a money thing. We confuse it when actually giving is an expression of worthship or where we get the term worship, worthship. We're showing worth or values assessment to our savior. Likewise, in the understanding of communion or Passover, people fail to understand that we're dealing with value, something valuable. If you took that little lamb and you grew it up and you allowed it to mature, it would produce then for the family. It could produce future herds or it could produce sustenance for the family as they grew with that lamb. As that lamb was adopted into their family for that short amount of time, they grew They grew to love that lamb. They grew to connect with that lamb. They grew in in favor towards that lamb. And yet God was saying, the thing you value is the thing we're going to use to strike a new covenant. First, he uses this example of the blood. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says the life of the soul is in the blood. Romans chapter eight or chapter six and verse 23, it says, for sin comes death. So there's sin, that enters the world and the wages of sin are death as we'll read in a second, but in the blood is the literal life of the soul. You can't get more dead than the life of the soul being let out. So when they cut that lamb, when they let out its blood, it's a bloody mess and we'll get to that in a second, but when, when that whole blood transfer happened, the life of the soul of that animal was poured out in picture type for the day when Jesus would let his whole blood, his life blood out of his person to accomplish what this lamb accomplished on that night, to accomplish for us for an eternity what Jesus was about to reestablish at the cross. Now I'm getting a little deep and theological on you. This is my, my nerd self coming out. It's okay. Sometimes I get to be a little theological nerd, right? The reason there's so much blood in the Bible is because there was so much sin. There was a heart sin problem in the lives of men. Romans, again, chapter six and verse 23, the payment or the wages of sin is death. That when sin has its fullest outworking, it brings nothing but death. So the moment we go away from God's orders and his direction, we are on a death march. And the only thing that can save us is the blood. The value of the blood is the value of the life. They valued the lamb so very much They valued that lamb as they took it and made it part of their family. And as they understood what it could represent for the family, had they had the opportunity to keep it. The value of the blood is in the value of the life. And who is the blood and what is the life that we serve in communion? See, God was painting a picture that night in ancient Egypt of drama type, of an event that would occur that Jesus himself would take the elements and re-up their understanding. He would reimagine He would reimagine what these elements really stood for. God was painting a picture that would last literally for generations. God had foreshadowed in Passover, telling each of the families to take the blood and to 
to paint it over the doorpost, to paint it over the threshold, to paint it over the lintel above. God then challenged them to go into the house, shut the doors where the blood that contains the life was spread over the doorpost. The family was to go in, shut the doors, and they would be saved. We forget in the same way that Jesus paints the blood, his blood on our hearts, And we don't have to worry about our merit to be saved. We don't have to worry about our worthiness, which we'll get to in a minute, to be saved. The worth is in the value of the blood, the one who died for us. Let that sink in for a second. In the midnight when the angel would pass and the angel would see the blood on the doorpost, As a token of acting in simple faith towards God's promise, he passed over those households and the Jewish people didn't have to understand the theology. They didn't have to understand everything God was doing. They didn't have to understand all the philosophical points. All they had to understand was if I do what God says to do, I get this benefit. Just believing God would keep his word was enough to obey in simple action. How many of us understand that when we come to the table of communion? That there's a promise given to us that's symbolized in Passover and that if we'll tie into it, we receive that promise based on the action of simple faith that we take at communion. Now, again, you could have gotten very humane about that little lamb that night. You could have taken that lamb into your home and gotten real cuddly. You could have taken that lamb into your home and allowed your kids to to make over that little animal. You could have gotten... You could have gotten really attached to that animal and what would have happened? The firstborn of your household, your firstborn son would have been struck dead and the first of all your livestock would have been struck dead. Sometimes what we see as value, sometimes what we value in our hearts and our lives is not at all what God is placing value on and we have to be certain that we're obeying God in simple faith rather than reestablishing a values assessment that's something he doesn't value. Faith is an action based on God's word, placing our action on the word of God's promise, literally hanging our actions as the Bible actually talks about. I don't have time to get on all the scriptures, but how the Bible actually talks about when we act in faith, we hang these actions on the promise of God by obeying the blood that was pasted on the doorpost of the house. From that point on, it was kept as a memorial, an observance of what God did that day in ancient Egypt. Listen, this is just my introduction. (laughs) Hope I didn't burn your noodle. And if your head scratches, go ahead and itch it. We're going to get there someday. Passover happens in the life of Jesus. It's it's illustrated four times in the four gospels. Uh, John chapter 13, Matthew chapter 26, Luke chapter 14. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 14 and Luke chapter 22. This event was Jesus. Every time this event's listed out, this was Jesus showing his disciples in the upper room that Mary had either owned the home or a home that she lived in, what he was about to do on the cross. He takes something that they had been celebrating for literally generations. He packs it into two very concise elements and says, I'm I'm about to ratify or give you a new covenant. You thought the covenant was great and that you've celebrated for thousands of years. Wait till you see what I'm about to do. He took the bread, he took the wine, and he started to give them new meaning. We'll start with the cup. Jesus takes the cup, the cup of the wine that's to symbolize the blood of that lamb. As Jesus took the cup, he insisted on not making this again a routine memorial, pointing back to the blood of a lamb 
that was painted on a doorpost to escape death. No, he re-upped the standard and he holds the cup in his hand and he says, this is my blood. At the pronouncement, when he said, this is my blood, he was sitting there living. His blood was still flowing through his veins. But Jesus had already voluntarily kinned himself to humanity, Ephesians chapter one and verse five, or Titus chapter two and verse 14. He had already come in flesh and blood, just like one of us. He took on human flesh. He sat there in front of them. He looked at the reminder of what had happened that Passover, and he started to re-up a new covenant. And he says, this is my blood. That God might actually be moved from the unknown of heaven and put on full display in front of each and every one of us. God wasn't trying to hide himself that night. He was trying to show us a perfect image of who God is in heaven. His perfect life made his life worth enough to be a stand-in for us. Listen, that unblemished lamb was perfect. It was adopted into the fold, into the family. It set a value judgment or a value system. Jesus himself came into our earthly family and he himself was perfect, was blameless. This wasn't the blood of an animal or goat that he was talking about that would, that would pacify the penalty for sin for a time. But it was his blood that was still coursing through his body. But he says, of this cup, he strikes a new covenant. He strikes a new memorial. Have, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Mark chapter 26 and verse 28. Mark 26 and verse 28 are where we get these words, where he so passionately declares to us what he's about to change and what he wants us to focus on. His perfect life, again, made him worth enough to die for all of us. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, this is my blood, Remember me as often as you do it. Now, this was a process that he knew the Jews were going to go through generation after generation after generation. They still celebrate Passover today. Yet Jesus looks at the blood that's commemorating the blood of the lamb, something of a values assessment. And he looks at it and he says, this is my blood. While he's sitting there with them, his blood flowing through his veins, remember me as often as you take it. He was partaking with those who weren't worthy of the covering that he was about to give them. He anticipated the day when every one of them would fail him. He anticipated the moment when every one of them would deny him. He anticipated the moment when they wouldn't have enough to carry on the gospel as he planned. He anticipated that this memorial would be kept far beyond his resurrection. He anticipated that moment, even to his second coming, that we would keep in memorial the idea of Jesus celebrating a new covenant with us. He wanted, he wanted us to remember him who was worthy to die in our place. See, many of us grow up with this stupid idea, and I know where we get it. We'll talk about it in a second here. It's a stupid, stupid concept. We, we grow up with this idea that if we don't come to the table of communion worthy, that somehow some negative action is gonna befall us. And it comes from this scripture right here. It comes from Paul being so misquoted, so misunderstood in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29. It says, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, I love the King James, he eateth and drinketh damnation upon himself, not discerning the body. Now, somewhere, some somber tone fat preacher told you, you better watch how you take communion because if you don't do it with the right attitude, God's gonna bring damnation on you. Nothing could be further from the truth. Amen. Listen, 
We are made worthy because of the blood. What craziness is that to misinterpret what Paul was saying? God didn't have the angel go to Egypt that night and all the doors that were painted with the blood walk into those households and judge their worthiness on whether or not they would be worthy to be saved from that death angel. What did God do? He said, wherever the marker is, wherever the blood is, you are saved, not by any distinction of your own, but because I have chosen to rescue you. God didn't have the angel judge their worthiness. So how come we take this scripture and we try to tweak it and manipulate it so that people wonder if they're even worthy to come to the table? You're never gonna be worthy enough. Hebrews is written so that we might understand that we have a better covenant. The whole book of Hebrews is written to explain what God is doing here at Passover, what he's commemorating in this first communion, that we have a better covenant, that we have a better covering. We have a better high priest. We have a better inheritance. Our promises are better. Everything about the covenant we caught with God from this moment on is better than what they understood. Yet so many, so many of us live wondering if God is still gonna strike us down, if God is still gonna have at us, if God is still gonna punish us. Paul had no focus whatsoever on whether or not you are worthy. You're made worthy by the blood of the lamb. The one who is worthy is Jesus the one whose name we're not even really worthy to say, the one whose sandals we're not really worthy to tie, the one who is worth more than this whole human experience put together is the one who makes us worthy. Unworthy people, you and I all are, we need to come to the table. We're exactly who he's expecting to come to the table of communion. Now you might be thinking, pastor, are we gonna have communion today? Nope, I want this one to germinate with you a little bit. We're gonna have communion next week. Next week, we're gonna set up an opportunity for us to have communion safely here in the sanctuary together as a family because we need to start celebrating it again as a family. But, but I want you to sit on this word for a week. I want you to sit on what's being taught here for a week so that you understand when you come to the table of communion, so that you understand what God's really doing in our lives as we take those elements. In Corinthians Paul says that you can eat or you can drink damnation or you can drink unworthily. It's an adverb modifying the manner of partaking, not the one who's actually taking. Eating and drinking unworthily is simply not discerning the body. Or a better translation might be this. You didn't discern who Jesus is in the elements of communion. That's simply saying you don't know Jesus. You don't know what's happened. You can eat and drink damnation, meaning you can eat and drink yourself into a stupor trying to figure out how to pay for what God's already made a way for. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He made this simple command, remember me. Jesus commands us to come to communion, but when we come to not forget why we come to the table. This is why I don't understand when you have little kids go through uh, 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 catechism and communion classes and it's like, well, there, now they're holy enough to actually receive communion. Hallelujah. Do the sign of the cross, hit your knee, whatever. It's like, why, why is that it? We should be re-upping the standard every time we go to communion. We should understand over and over again what's been accomplished at that table. We should know what the elements signify and know why they're so very important. To question my worthiness when we come to the table is to question his worthiness because we're in him. To question whether or not you or I are worthy is to drink and to eat unworthily. 
When we question our worth is exactly what Paul was warding against. Don't come to the table wondering you've got it all together or not. Come to the table knowing you could never be worthy, but Jesus is the one who sets you right. Get your mind on anything else, including trying to justify or analyze your worthiness is to eat and drink unworthily. Hope I settled that for everybody. (laughs) Sorry. It's a pet peeve of mine if you haven't understood that. We're made worthy because one who is worthy more than all of us put together gave his life as penalty for our unworthiness. We're made worthy by the blood of the lamb. That's just the blood. We haven't even talked about the element of the bread yet, of what the roasted lamb looked like. There are two elements. If saving us from sin was the only reason Jesus came to the earth, if saving us from sin were the only reason to take communion and then reflect back on Passover, we would have no reason for the flesh. We would have no reason for the bread. There's only one element needed in the eradication of sin. It's the element of the blood. The life of the soul resides in the blood. The blood was poured out on that cross. The blood was poured out as that animal's throat was slit and those, that blood was pasted over the doorpost. The blood is all throughout. It is all done. It is all finished. So why do we have a second element? I think many of us fail to even ask the question. We think it's like a twofer. We get a little Jesus juice and a little Jesus and that's it. We go on our way. Some of you are like, he said Jesus. I don't even know if I can laugh or what, because that sounds sacrilegious. It's okay. If all you do is look at it as elements that you don't understand, you might as well be eating a cracker. Anyway, at Passover, when they commemorated Passover and when they did what those early Jews did in reflecting back to God's redeeming, to saving, what they did simply was take that roasted lamb. They ate their lamb roasted over a fire. They ate it with their sandals on their feet, ready to be delivered. They came out of bondage, out of Egypt. There were 2.25 million to 2.5 million people left Egypt. And Psalms chapter five and verse 36 says something very interesting. Go ahead and turn there. But as part of the journey, as strength for the journey, God adds this added element of the roasted lamb. He knew you're gonna need strength as you walk life out. He knew that though you are saved and delivered and you are finding heaven as your home when this life is over, he knew that you would need a little more strength for the journey. Turn to Psalms chapter 105 and verse 37. He says, and there wasn't one sick among them. He's talking about those 2.25 million to 2.5 million people who left bondage, who left Egypt, who left enslavement. And what they do, they left ready for the journey with their sandals on their feet, with their bags packed, with their staff in hand. They're ready to go conquer the world to do and to be what God called them to be. And on their movement out, there wasn't a sick one among them. Strength for the journey is wrapped up in that element that element of the bread, that element symbolizing his broken body, that element symbolizing that roasted lamb. How many of us fail to understand and to discern what God has really given us in this moment of communion? We encounter stress on our journey. We get sick. We get diagnosed with disease. We worry and we wonder and we develop problems and ailments in our bodies. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse five, it's on the screen but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our well-being was upon him and he 
I'm sorry, and by his stripes, we are healed. The words are very clear here. The verb is having him lifting away the weight and carrying away the full weight of our sickness and disease. Isaiah's prophecy comes true in Jesus, yet it's reflected back on that Passover lamb. They knew exactly what this prophecy pointed to in their history and exactly what this prophecy would point to in their future that that lamb carried away with them all sickness, all disease. So when they left bondage, they would be free to be who God's called them to be, to access what God has given them, to make that journey, to make that trek without worry of sickness and disease. And in the same breath, the prophet Isaiah says that there's one coming who by the crushing of his body will set you free from sickness and disease. He will carry away the weight of sickness and disease. How many of us understand this truth when we come to the table of communion? That Jesus himself has set us free. That when we come and every time we partake of the bread, we can take and ingest our healing. That every time we come and we take of the cup, that we ingest our freedom. That the moment we're free, healing comes from the backside, but it doesn't come without a cost. The cost of 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 those Israelites was very simple they had to now go and move on their journey. They couldn't stay stagnant in Egypt and expect to be freed. They couldn't stay stagnant in Egypt and expect for that roasted lamb to give them strength for the journey. They had to actually get up and move. I think too many of us take communion. We take the elements of communion and we don't go do what God's called us to do. We get stuck in wondering, God, where am, I, where am I at in life? God, where are you at with me? God, what am I supposed to do? God, where am I supposed to be? God, 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 show me, show me. We forget that he's always leading. He's always guiding. His still small voice is there. We yell and we scream, God, do something in my life to change the pattern. And he said, I've given you communion. I've given you the blood to set you free from your bondage. I've given you the body for strength for the journey. Now go out and take your first step. We wonder sometimes why things aren't appropriated to us when we want or when we expect. Sometimes we wonder why we're not getting the healing that he promises us. Are you doing what he's called you to do? Have you stepped out and done to be who God's called you to be? Or are you waiting for him to create the perfect scenario for you to finally step out and do what he's called? Are you waiting for him to finally carve out your world in perfect form and portion so that you can finally say, okay, God, all my ducks are in a row. I guess I'll decide to do what you've called me to do. You know, one of the first things my wife and I did when we decided to start a church, which is a stupid idea. If you ever get that idea, don't do it unless it's from Jesus. I tell young pastors this all the time. If you can do anything else other than ministry and be happy, do that. Because this ain't easy ever. But the fact is, we, we knew we were called. We knew we were called to start a church. I, I begged God to give me at least a city with one professional sports team, and nothing happened. So hallelujah, Jesus. But he called us back home. He called us back to the Midwest. And as he was calling and whispering in our ear, in order for us to solidify what he's called us to do, we as a couple in the church we were at went down and took communion said, all right, God, if you're gonna do this, then we're gonna, we're gonna believe you for it. We're gonna be free from bondage. We're gonna have the provision that we need, the strength for the journey, and we're gonna go do what you called us. I think so many people look at communion as, communion as a religious exercise. 
Man, you remember the moments where you walked up in front of the priest and you know, you did the sign of the cross. And if you weren't a good person that week, you crossed your arms and he tapped you on the head and you walked away. If you were a good person that week, you put your little hands out and he gave you a little, little wafer. Maybe if you were really old school, you stuck your tongue out <laughs> and he put it on your tongue, right? Anybody been in those churches? I've been in a lot of them. We have this religious exercise built into communion. Maybe you grew up more charismatic and they passed the plates and you took your little Jesus and your little Jesus juice and you drank it and you swigged it down and you all sang some little hymn and kumbaya and you felt good and you went on the way. And nothing changed. Nothing about you changed. There was no new sense of deliverance. There was no new sense of urgency. There was no new sense of strength for the journey. You went out with the same ailments and same issues and same brokenness you came in the door with. Listen, there's a reason we're not taking communion today. I want this one to fester. I want it to grow in your heart. I want you to understand that the next time we take communion, I want to see bondage falling off. The next time we take communion, you don't need someone to lay hands on you to get healed. Go take communion and see what God will do. You don't need someone to believe with you and pray with you for 14 hours and who Shonda Ronda and stole my Honda. You don't need that. What you need is to understand communion. I'm not knocking the gifts of tongues. Please understand, I'm not. What I'm saying is too many of us rely on somebody else's voice. Too many of us rely on these auspicious displays of spirituality rather than relying on the covenant that God's already cut. Listen, there's this idea that happens in communion. There's this idea that God reveals in the nature of communion and Passover by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a theological concept called the double happening. Just as the moment you sin, there's a double happening. When you sin, Jesus says he takes on our sin. He took on the sins of the world. You sin, past, present, future sin. Sins you've done in your past, sins you're currently committing, and sins that you will do in your future. In that moment, Jesus takes on himself. He becomes the redeemer, or as the Bible calls him, the propitiation for our sin. There's a double happening, and we love this double happening. We, we shout about it. We sing songs about it. We praise about it. We thank God for it, that when we sin, we are not subject to our sin for an eternity, but Christ takes it on the cross, pays the way, is our redeemer. But there's another double happening. There's a secondary double happening by virtue of a secondary element. That the moment you are sick, the moment that you are diagnosed, the moment that the doctor gives you bad news, the moment the doctor looks at your kid and says, I don't know what we can do, I don't know if we can save that child, the moment that you hear that it's a devastating physical issue with your body, there's a double happening. That same disease, sickness, plague is now laid on him as the Passover lamb, roasted, burnt up as an offering, consumed as strength for the journey. But so many of us wonder and wait, God, when are you gonna do something? Wait a minute, he painted a picture in drama type that night in Egypt that you would be delivered, that you would have strength for the journey, that you would have health to walk free from bondage and get on your way in your journey. And then he ratified the covenant and he says, in Jesus, this is my blood. Filling the cup, filling the cup was the element of the blood, the life of the soul to be poured out for each and every one of us. And then he looks at the bread, this is my body while he's standing in front of them. Body not even touched, not even bruised, not even scourged, but he understood. He understood this monumental moment that they would take on a double happening. 
That even in the moment we take in communion and we take in the elements of the bread of symbolizing the strength for the journey, in that same moment, that sickness is laid on him. The moment you contract the disease, it's laid on him. Man, it gets quiet when you speak this way. It gets quiet because what happens? We are so faithful to understand that yes, God redeems us from sin because that's a long and a far out action. But the moment we say God has given us strength for the journey, healed us from all of our diseases, there's a double happening that the moment we are sick, it is laid on him so he can take all of our sickness and disease. In that moment, we shudder back and go, I hope it's true, pastor. I hope it works. We gotta get past hoping and get to knowing knowing and believing, having faith in this theological concept that the moment you are stricken with any disease, in that moment you are healed. Listen, I don't know how healing comes every time. I'm not gonna sit up here and lie to you and say, never comes through a doctor. God gave people brains. They use them well. Because they use them well, they're able to, to, to manufacture ways to combat sickness and disease. That doesn't lessen a healing. My little boy, a few years ago, some of you know this, he, we thought he had rolled his ankle. His ankle's all puffy and black and blue. Didn't really know what was going on with him. They treated him for a broken ankle and it just wouldn't go away. All of a sudden he gets a fever and he's sweating bullets and his ankle's getting darker and darker and we know there's something wrong. We take him to have an MRI done and they recognize that there's an infection in his bone. Osteomyelitis. If it happens to an adult, most of the time because it's so aggressive, they just cut your leg off they amputate part of your body. This little boy was sitting in the doctor's office crying for mommy and daddy to make the pain go away. Doctors are sticking him with needles. The doctor comes in the door and says, we're gonna have to do a quick evasive surgery. We're gonna have to cut that out of his bone. We're gonna have to cut into the, into the bone itself and cut it out. It's really close, close to the growth plate. And if we don't do our job right, the growth plate will stop growing. And so for every 18 months, as he grows old, we'll have to break his bone and put a little brace in there so it grows back together. And then 18 months later, break his bone and put a brace in there so it grows back together. So his, his leg keeps the same length as the other one. His mother and I are sitting there going, what are you talking about, doc? Like, we thought maybe he rolled his ankle, not that this is gonna be a serious issue. Listen, in that moment, when you're faced with real issues and it's your family, when you're faced with real issues and it's sickness and disease knocking on your door, in that moment, you can't wonder if this double happening's true. You have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you go to the throne room of God, you can say, God, I, I don't know what to do here, but I know you took our sickness and our disease. I know you took it and lifted it off of us and you took this little boy's problem and you're gonna heal him and see him through. And that little boy's running around like a crazy person today in church, kids' church. And you know, I don't apologize for it because some, some people don't know what you went through. Listen, let me help you out. Some people don't know what you've gone through. Don't apologize for how you show off your victory. Don't apologize for what God's done in your life. Don't apologize for the revelation you have of this communion, this new common union that you have with yourself and Jesus, this new common understanding that you have when you come to the elements that Jesus is, has made a way because of his blood, but he has already made provision, strength for the journey because of his broken body. Again, we're not taking communion today, but I want you to understand 
I want you to deeply understand the next time you come to the table, I have deliverance and I have health. I have deliverance and I have health. I have provision. I have prosperity. I have everything that the Bible says is mine because of what happened on the cross. And these two elements solidify in my heart and in my mind that I am delivered, that I can be healed, and that I will get myself back on the journey that God's called me to. I want to encourage everyone today, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in our service, I want to encourage you. Change your thinking. Change your thinking. Understand that you've been blood bought. You've been bought with the blood. Why? Because there's so much sin in this life. God needed an instrument of victory and he chose the blood to do it. The blood of a goat and the blood of the cross. That unblemished lamb sacrificed the blood painted over the doorposts and our hearts covered by the blood of Jesus that we aren't wondering if we are worthy or not, that we can shut ourselves in him, that we can shut ourselves behind the covenant promise to know we'll be delivered, we'll be spared. But more than that, there's strength for the journey. Whatever you're struggling with today, whatever you're wondering if you can get over, whatever physical ailment you're dealing with, whatever you're you're dealing and battling with, know that there's strength for your journey. I wanna encourage you today. I wanna encourage you to look at life differently. Look at communion differently. The next time it's celebrated in your church, in this church, look at communion differently. Understand and know that those two elements symbolize your freedom and your healing.